0: today, addictions, it is a good guess that just about every family represented in the room today has been touched in some way by an addiction. We're going to talk through this subject this morning, but I want you to know up front that the devastation that addictions can cause individuals and families has already been defeated by Jesus Christ. He's already defeated it. And the children of God have already been delivered from the bondage of sin. And sometimes we just lose sight of the power and the freedom that we've been given in Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul spoke to the church about the fact that the bodies of believers don't actually belong to us. They have been bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And I want to read a section this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Beginning there in verse number 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you're washed. But you're sanctified, but you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. And today we're going to talk about nailing addictions to his cross. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you this morning for each person who's here, each person in this room is loved by you. Each person in this room has had your precious blood shed specifically for him or her. And today as we come and we address this this subject, may we not do it out of judgment, but may we do it out of your love. And I pray that you would bring us together and unite our hearts as one in what you would have for us today. We ask these things in Jesus' name, Amen. Verse 12 this morning is our key verse. If you go back to it, you'll understand that as a human being, I have the freedom of choice. And I can do just about anything that I decide to do, but that doesn't mean that I should. Uh, I could eat a gallon of ice cream, but that doesn't mean that I should. And that doesn't mean that there won't be repercussions. Okay, I can go down and steal a television at the store, but that doesn't mean that there's not going to be consequences. I I could go to brunch at the restaurant instead of showing up at church, but that doesn't mean it will be profitable from my walk with God. I can skip reading the Bible any day that I want, but that's not going to lead to maturity in my life. And, And Paul's saying, I can do whatever I want, But what I want may not be what's best for me. I can do whatever I want, but I've decided not to let anything or anyone be my master except Jesus. One of the things that we so often get distracted about, especially in this modern age, even in the church world, is what do I want? What feels good to me? What's best for me? And look, scripture and Christianity and church history tell us that we should be asking, what does Jesus want? What does God say is best for me? And so that's the angle we're coming from this morning. And uh, as we get started, I want to go through some ground that might be familiar to you. Maybe you've never heard of these things. But let's begin by talking today about basic types of addiction. And uh, we're going to be using a lot of scripture as we go through this morning. But we're also going to be talking about some things that are common sense for us. And we begin by saying that there are two basic types of addiction. First, a substance that causes dependency. And some substances, some substances have the potential to cause a physical dependency, where there are chemicals affecting the body to the point that a person struggles or goes through withdrawals when they're not delivered to, that, to the brain or to the body in such a way. The first three substances that I'll mention are often uh, called gateway drugs because they easily lead to other more harmful substances. And alcohol would be one of them, tobacco would be one of them, and cannabis or marijuana would be another one. Many people have moved from one or all of those three to be addicted to other chemical drugs, uh, opioids or heroin and cocaine, And amphetamines and hallucinogens and inhalants and PCP and others. And and we could get really deep into that. But uh, we could also mention that others have been addicted or have struggled with prescription drugs. Maybe after they've had a surgery or maybe they've had pain in their body. And they didn't know that that drug would actually addict them or get them uh, high or low or whatever it would be. And then there are millions of people that are addicted to caffeine. I heard once that if you want to know if you're addicted to something, go without it for a month and see what happens. And about a year and a half ago, my wife made the ludicrous suggestion that I was addicted to caffeine. And I told her, that is the craziest thing I've ever heard. Just because I drink coffee in the morning and at night does not mean I'm addicted to caffeine. It doesn't make any sense to me that you would say that. And so she said, well, the way you could try is don't have it. Like, all right, you're on. I'll do this thing. And I didn't do it for godly reasons. I did it to prove my wife wrong, right? It's obviously a godly reason for all men, right? Uh, So I didn't have coffee that next morning. And and, uh, I was doing great. I went into her office. And I'm doing fine without coffee, no big deal to me. And then a couple hours later, I wasn't doing quite as well. And then a couple hours later, I had to go home for the day. Because I could barely sit and my head was pounding so, I mean, it was. And for two and a half days, my body cried out, please, will you give me some caffeine? Please give me some caffeine. And by the third or fourth day, I started feeling better. And I didn't have coffee for a whole month. And then I said, you know, uh, just to see how it goes, I'm going to have some coffee. So I went up to Dutch Brothers, where the real coffee is, (laughs) and, um, and I got a cup of coffee, and I drank one drink, and I felt like that I had just taken a horrific substance into my body. And my brain was actually going like, we shouldn't do this. This is no good. And I drank a couple more drinks. And I couldn't do it. Like I felt, I don't even know how I felt. I just felt like this is not good. This is not good for us. And and I didn't even drink it. And so uh, a couple days later, I thought, you know what? I've never tried it before, but I'm going to try decaffeinated coffee. Because, you know, just to still have coffee. And uh, decaffeinated coffee is really a poor excuse for coffee, isn't it? Kind of a poor excuse for coffee. But some places have a pretty good variety of it. And so I've started, I drink decaf coffee when I drink coffee now. And I didn't have any problem. Until a few weeks ago. Uh, because I have iced tea occasionally for lunch. And I didn't really realize that the caffeine in iced tea was enough to get me addicted to iced tea. And I had it two or three days in a row. And then the next day... Uh, Right after lunchtime in the afternoon, I started getting a headache. And I said, what in the world is wrong? It's because I didn't have iced tea. And so I'm addicted now to iced tea. Can you imagine now? (laughs) I go home today, I'm going to have to have iced tea to not have a headache again. And, uh, you know, there are physical chemical substances that we all have that, that can be addictive to us. And not only, though, are there physical addictions, There are also psychological addictions that are based upon emotional or motivational desires. And these addictions can also affect the chemicals inside of your brain and cause dependency on them. And when I read about these and studied the current list, there are a bunch of these. Uh, Food could be one. Pornography is a devastating addiction. It is one of the most difficult ones to escape. And one out of every four men in the United States is addicted to pornography. Gambling has taken hold of many people in recent years. And gambling's been around uh, since there were things to race, right? Uh, There were camels, they raced them. There were dogs, they raced them. They gambled at the foot of Jesus' cross. Uh, But in modern days, especially with the Internet, gambling has become uh, very addictive to many people. The Internet itself can be addictive Uh, Your smartphone, social media, Netflix, video games, all of the things associated with media can become an addiction. You say, well, they're not an addiction. I just like to do it. Then don't do it for a month. Right? Don't do it for a month. Let's see how it goes. And uh, that's what I, I mean. I'm just telling you straight up. If you're not willing to do that, we'll talk about it in a minute, you are in what's called denial, Right, and we'll figure out what the scripture says about this. Work can be an addiction, exercise can be an addiction, pain can be an addiction, cutting can be an addiction, and even, believe it or not, shopping can be an addiction. Right? Even specifically, shopping on Amazon can be an addiction. So all these things can be an addiction for us. And an addiction is something that causes dependency, whether it's physical or psychological. You know, for the Christian, an addiction can also be an unnatural obsession with anything other than God. The great commandment is so clear when it tells us to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind, and your strength, it says in in one reference to it. When we occupy our minds on something habitually or compulsively, it can be an addiction, sports, uh, work, stuff, even good things like our children, our houses, our church. When we give any person or thing the place in our lives that God should rightfully have, it can become an idol to us, even an addiction. Now, let's talk about how addictions begin. And we say this in your notes, not knowing how much is too much. Okay, this is where they begin. Not knowing how much is too much. You know, Jeremiah tells us in Jeremiah 17 that the human heart is the most deceitful thing on planet earth and that we all have deceitful hearts. The first person you have to deceive to be addicted to something is yourself. It's the first person. Now, James explains it this way in James 1. Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust has conceived, it brings forth sin, and sin when it is finished brings forth death. And when you start down the road of addiction. You usually don't even know that you're on it. Just having fun, you're just trying something new, everybody's doing it, it just feels right, it's your body, you can handle it, but here's the deal. You don't know what the biological factors are that might lead you to chemical addiction. You don't know what heredity has handed you in this regard. You don't know how influenced you will be to certain things or substances. And to start down the road, you have to be deceived, you have to be in denial. And once you go under the influence of anything other than God, you have made that thing your master. Now, Paul talks a lot about this in Romans 6. And he basically, to sum it up, he says this, whoever you yield to is your master. Did you catch that? Whoever you yield to is your master. He goes on to use a phrase in Romans 6, verse 19. And let me give you the phrase. And then I'm going to explain it to you. Yeah, now this is a very important phrase. This is Romans 6, verse number 19. And there's a phrase inside of it that we use. The phrase is this, iniquity unto iniquity. Iniquity unto iniquity. Here's what that means. It means that sin is ever-increasing. Sin builds upon sin. Iniquity builds upon iniquity. And uh, here's some basics of this that are common sense. You don't know where it will take you. You don't know how far off the path you will go. You don't know how long it's going to have a hold on you. You don't know what valuable things you're gonna lose. You don't know what horrible things you're gonna gain as it increases. And since you don't know any of these variables, the best advice ever given by God is this, flee from it, flee from it. Don't even mess with it, don't take it the first time. That's the best advice. And that's the advice that parents give to their kids, and that's the advice that we should give, and that's God's word. Obviously, that's the message for people who haven't made the choice yet. Others have already gone down the path. And if you've ever gone down the path of any type of remote, even close to addiction, you know exactly what Paul's saying when he tells the Romans in Romans 7 that there is another law in my members Warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. You'll understand the expression that he offers next when he says this. This is in Romans chapter 7. O wretched man that I am. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And when you've experienced the torment of addiction, you wonder how you could ever escape. Paul's very next words are the answer to his own question, and I love this. In the very next phrase, he says, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And then he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Jesus is the only one that can deliver us from captivity, from the torment from the dependency of addiction. So many people wish that they could go back and not have that first cigarette and not have that first drink or not look at that pornographic picture for the first time. But we don't know how much is too much. And no, we can't handle sin. And it does have an effect on our lives. Let's talk next about the value of your example and witness. I want to get into the motivation for doing right, for staying clean, for staying away from things that cause dependency, for staying close to Jesus and far from addictions. I want to go further into this 1 Corinthians 6 passage that we started with earlier. Verse 13 gives us a kind of an eye-opening statement. Look what it says down in the verse. It says in the middle of verse, now the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord. Now, you could take out the word fornication and you could put anything in there, uh, anything that could become an addiction, and you could say the body is not for shopping, but for the Lord. The body is not for gambling, but for the Lord. The body is is not for drugs, but for the Lord. And there's a powerful principle here that the body is not for any sexual sin or any other sin, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And if you keep going down through in this passage. He says in verse 15, "Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ.' Should I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of a harlot? God forbid." And yeah, boy, this gets really intense. Immediately, and in this passage, he says that we need to realize in verse number 19 that our body, if you're a child of God, your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own, for you're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. And if you are a believer, Jesus paid for your sins, and he bought you at the price of his own blood, specifically so that you can glorify him and show others his power. And as his child, you are a reflection of him. Your example means something, not because you're important, but because Jesus is. Your witness is powerful not because of you, but because of Christ. I have the freedom as a man to go to a strip club, but I choose not to do that for many reasons, one of which is probably that my wife would probably hurt me. Um, But the main reason, I'll tell you the main reason, it would affect my example and my witness. Even if I was going in there to tell them about Jesus, it would damage my reflection with other people. Now, I'm not trying to get nitpicky with individual sins today. I've given some examples. An addiction, though, can really be anything that's not done in moderation. According to the Bible, gluttony is just as much of a sin as drunkenness. Right? But I know this. If I'm headed down a, a curvy two-lane road in the dark, I'd rather have a fat driver headed toward me than a drunk driver, right? So there's some common sense implications on this too. That was actually a joke. You guys can laugh if you want, but I know they're so, uh, so rare. I've put them in so rarely, but what, what we do with substances is all about moderation. It really is. It's all about moderation. Uh, our son, Dawson's is going to be graduating from high school in a few weeks, and, and he's a good kid, and one of the things we've always worked with him on is moderation, having an off switch, being able to control how much or how, how little or whatever, and it all it start, we first noticed it. he's a little kid, and we went to a buffet, uh, I think it was the Jade Garden in Napa, still around, it's been around for a long, long time, and, uh, and we went in the Jade Garden, and uh, Dawson said, can I go up by myself to the buffet? And we said, sure, you go up by yourself and just make good choices, you know, and don't get too much pudding or whatever. And so he didn't. And he came back, and his whole plate, his whole plate, like high, was full of pork and seeds. All right? So all the little pieces of pork that you dip in the hot mustard and then the seeds, it was like top, over, over. And so after, you know, looking at each other, like, where you're a parent, you're trying to hide that you're laughing, and, but your kid can't see that, and our daughter Sophie's actually picked up on that now, and it's really hard to do. Um, but we talked to each other, and we said, Dawson, if you get all that food, you have to eat it. And uh, he doesn't like pork and seeds anymore. <laughs> no, he actually probably still does. He's got a bottomless pit down there somewhere where he puts stuff. But moderation is huge for us. But you know, it's good sometimes to set some personal guardrails under the freedom we have in Christ where we don't even bring moderation to the table. Where we, don't, we say, you know what? I'm not even going to do this moderately. I'm just not going to do it. Right? I'll give you an example. Now, the vice president of the United States is Mike Pence. And he's, he's a Christian guy, and, and uh, he used to be the governor of Indiana. And a few weeks ago, the media got all over his, him and his wife because his wife had said in an interview that they determined years ago in their marriage not to go out to eat with a person alone other than their spouse, like a person of the opposite sex. And the media made so much fun of them, like, how, that horror was so stone age. Can't believe they said that. And you know, it's just common sense that they put a guardrail in. My wife and I have the same guardrail. Here's what I know about this. If you don't go out to eat with a member of the opposite sex by yourself, you probably won't have an affair with that person. Uh, The chances are really good. You probably won't do anything stupid. It's a good guardrail, and you don't have to have their guardrail. They never said you did. They chose to have that guardrail. They said, we won't even do this in moderation. There are things that I think that's wise for. In my own life, I'll give you another for instance. This is my guardrail. It doesn't have to be yours. Uh, I made a personal decision many years ago not to drink alcohol. Now, drinking, it might not affect my testimony with everyone, but it would certainly affect my testimony with someone. See, what I do in moderation Other people might do in excess. What I do in moderation might end up being the ruin of my kids. What I do in moderation might be the devastation of my grandkids. And it's just not worth it to me. I have plenty of other choices available. So that's just a personal guardrail for me. And that doesn't have to be your guardrail. But you definitely should have some guardrails that keep you from addictive quantities or addictive qualities in your life. I agree with the Apostle Paul when he said this. He said even though he had the freedom to eat meat that had been offered to idols, he wouldn't do it if he knew it caused someone else to stumble. Here's what he said. For meat, destroy not the work of God. Now that's a powerful principle to me. To use in your life regarding any substance... Because normally the people you hurt through your decisions are the ones closest to you. And they are the work God has given you to do while you're on the earth. Do you know that most of the people addicted to tobacco had parents who used tobacco? In fact, children of parents who smoke are twice as likely to take it up for themselves. See, your example is important, and you don't want your witness to be hindered. A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. Perhaps the greatest principle given on this topic is from Paul, and here's what he said in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31. It's one of my life verses. Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That should be the leading principle for our lives when it comes to substances and habits. Not about what I feel, what I want, but does it glorify God? And it's a huge question and one that we should take note of. Let's finish up today by talking about the fact that fleshly masters are nailed to the cross. Fleshly masters are nailed to the cross. And you might be speaking to me right now, not from your mouth, but from your heart. Pastor, if you only knew how much I want to be free from dependency. If you only knew how hard i have trying to stop. If you only knew the struggle I've had with addiction. The good I try to do, I can't do. The bad I try to stop, I keep doing. Believe it or not, we're all in the same boat when it comes to our flesh. But Jesus... Has already nailed fleshly masters to his cross. And Jesus is the victory over strongholds that have taken residence in your life. If you're still in 1 Corinthians 6, uh, move your right just a little to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And I want to give you, I, I think, what is the most powerful verse when it comes to addictions in this passage. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse number 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Casting down imaginations... And every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Now look at this phrase. So powerful. And bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Bringing into captivity every thought. So powerful it knocked my mic off. Every thought to the obedience of Christ. You know, addictions always start with our thoughts. The things that we struggle with in our lives always start with our thoughts. And I'm sure that that you have, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, somewhere on your wall or on a note card or down in your heart. It's a promise from Philippians 4.13. And the challenge is claiming that promise and allowing Christ to live through us. I can do all the things God wants me to do through Christ. I can stay away from all the things that will hurt me through Christ. I can take captive every thought to the obedience of Christ. I love this promise from Ephesians 3. It tells us how that Jesus is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to his power. You know, it's a war that we fight in the flesh as much as it is a war that we fight spiritually and mentally. And in dealing with addictions, many people fail to realize that addictions always stem from a heart issue. Our life groups talked about this this morning. Addictions are not a root of sin on their own. They are always a byproduct of a sin root in the heart. Maybe the root is guilt. Guilt says, I owe you. Guilt is one that drives people to all sorts of addictions. Maybe it's anger. Anger says, you owe me. And it's a a driver of addictions as well. One that you don't think of, but a big one, maybe it's greed. Greed says, I owe me. Uh, I've worked hard, and I deserve a break. I've worked hard, and I deserve a Friday night. It says, I owe me greed. Maybe it's jealousy. Jealousy says God owes me. But I know this. For you to be addicted, something has grown up in your heart, and addictions have latched onto the root. God has given us cures for every root of sin. We don't have time to talk about all the cures for the roots of sin in this message, but we've talked about it before, and I'm sure we'll talk about it again. Jesus has given us the victory that overcomes the world, faith in Jesus Christ. We're going to get extremely practical on this in just a second, but first let me give you today's big truth. Even though we have the freedom to do whatever we want, not all things are profitable to the Christian not all things are profitable to the Christian and no thing should become a master to the Christian except Jesus Christ just because you can doesn't mean you should right how many of you understand this principle uh, if I said uh, pastor uh, wants to go buy a pink Cadillac <laughs> right Now, think about this. Is there anything biblically wrong about me buying a a pink Cadillac? Nope. Is there anything biblically right about it? Nope. But is it the best thing? Absolutely not. Right? It would be a horrible decision. It would be a horrible decision. So, So sometimes you have to ask, is it right or is it wrong? And sometimes the Bible tells us on that. But then add a third question. Is it best? For this time in my life, for my family situation, for my past uh, history and the problems I've had in the past, is it best? It may not be wrong for me to go and do it on a Friday night, but it may not be best for me to do it either. Is it right? Is it wrong? Is it best? Is it profitable? The Bible word is expedient. And just because you can doesn't mean you should. Just because you can doesn't mean that it glorifies God. Uh, Just because you can doesn't mean that it keeps God in his rightful place in your heart. That brings us to today's faith challenge. And this question, will you put on Jesus Christ or will you make provision for your flesh to sin? And I want to close today uh, back just a little in, in your Bible to Romans chapter 13. And I want you to turn to this one and see it. Uh, It's one that if you mark things in your Bible or you highlight things on your phone, this is something worthy of highlighting. Romans 13 and verse number 14. But put you on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts Thereof. Every time that I've given in to a substance or lust, every time that you've given in to a substance or lust, it's because the provisions were there for you to do it. Somehow you got the supplies necessary. Without provision, it's a lot harder to do anything. You have to have the provisions. I brought some provisions here today, just as an example. Let's see. Clean and bright. Clean. Tough and tender. All-purpose cleaner. Uh, Soulguard botanical disinfectant. Right? Somebody, this is a tough one. Somebody tell me what I have the provisions for. Cleaning. You guys are a smart crowd, a really smart crowd. I have the provisions for cleaning. All right, let's do another one. All right, let's see. I've got uh, baking soda. Okay. Flour. Sugar. Mm. Brown sugar? Ah. All right? What do I have the provisions for here? Well, chocolate chip cookies, baking. I might need some vanilla. I might need some salt. There's a couple other little things that I need. But I've got provisions. Now, think about this. Have you ever been at your house in an evening and you thought, you know what? I like to bake some cookies. And you went to the cupboard and opened the cupboard to start baking the cookies, and you were missing the most important ingredient. <laughs> provisions mean something, right? They're important. Let's do another one. Uh, let's see. In this bag, I basically have the provisions in one element. All right. I could basically start a fire anywhere for anything. Just with this. I have the provisions to start a fire. Have you ever wanted to barbecue? Right? And your little push button thingy didn't work? And you didn't have one of those? And you didn't have any matches? Yeah. What are you going to do? Rub two sticks together? <laughs> I doubt it. Okay, so provisions are important. Uh, here's another Let's see what we got here, I've got uh, WD-40, which basically could work anyth- with anything with duct tape. I've got a work light, uh, I've got a socket wrench, and I've got a Duralast fuel filter, All right. So what do, you th- what do you think I have the provisions for? to fix the blasted Jeep that my son can't sell. (laughs) And no, I'm not bitter. Provisions are important. Now, Now, think about what this verse is telling us. Without provision, it's a lot harder to do something. And you are going to do what you have the provisions to do. You are going to do what you have supplied yourself to do. And God is not going to allow you to stand before his throne and say, well, I made a mistake. God says that all are sinners, not mistakers. We aren't mistakers in need of some type of a fix. We're sinners in need of a savior. And God wants us to admit that we make provisions for ourselves to make bad decisions. And it's so important to get this, because it comes down to supplying yourself to follow Jesus instead of to follow the flesh. Here's a hint. If ice cream is your weakness, don't go down the ice cream aisle, right? Don't even go down the aisle. If alcohol is your weakness, go to the store with an accountability partner, don't go anywhere near it. If television is your weakness, give yourself some new provisions to choose from. If there are people you hang with and it always seems like you made bad choices, then you have to take that provision off the table sometimes. If sitting in front of a computer leads you to sin, then make provisions not to do that alone. You are going to do what you have made provisions to do. What God is telling us is this. If you get the stuff necessary to sin, you are going to sin. Your flesh is not strong enough to overcome it. Don't even go near the stuff. Don't let your deceitful heart trick you into bringing it into the house. Right, the math is simple on this one, Folks. And I'm not trying to be with, harsh with you. I'm just speaking God's truth and I love you. But if you don't ever buy cigarettes, you're not going to have a problem with cigarettes. It's about supply. If you don't go to casinos, you probably won't have as much of a, a, an issue with losing your money at them. It's a provision issue. Provision and temptation are sisters. If you get one, the other smacks you upside the head. And God said he gives us a way to escape temptation. Guess what it is? Don't get near it in the first place. See, if there's a cliff nearby... You ever been to the Grand Canyon? How many of you went to the Grand Canyon and you climbed over the railing? And then you walked out to the deal and you said, You know that guy on TV... uh, Valenzer or whoever his name that walked across the Grand Canyon on a tightrope tight and, and how many of you think that's just crazy that he did that um, but he did that and you you know what I don't have a tightrope but I'm just going to walk on the edge of the Grand Canyon I can do it, I've got it no problem here I've got this Ooh. I thought about falling but I might hurt my ankle you know that's what we do with addiction, though. Like, God, I just want to be free from this. I just want to be free from it, God. I want to be free from it. God, I want to be free from it. Woo! If you really want to be free from it, get away from the edge. Get back from it. Don't make yourself a provision to fall back into sin. It comes with capturing our thoughts. You think, but then my life will be boring. I won't have any fun. Don't buy into that satanic argument. The best fun you can ever have is serving Jesus. And when it says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ, what it's saying is, how about make some provisions to serve God with your life? Make provisions to glorify Him at all you say and do. Say, Pastor, nobody's perfect. We all make mistakes. And yes, we do. But I'll tell you this. Huge statement here. The level of our mistakes is equal to the level of provisions we make. If you make provisions to ruin your life, the chances of you ruining your life are a lot better. If you put a guardrail in that keeps you from going over a cliff, you may wreck the car, but you're not going to go over the cliff. Guardrails are there to help you. If I got into a car with a woman who's not my wife or my daughter or my sister, I would feel crazy weird. You know why? Because that's one of my guardrails. I say, Pastor, that's the dumbest guardrail i ever heard. I'm telling you, would it, listen, would it be a sin for me to get... In the car with a woman, that would not be a sin. It would not be a sin. By all means, it would not be a sin. But if I feel weird just about getting in a car with a woman, I'm gonna protect myself a lot better from actual sin. It's a guardrail. And we gotta have them. And we gotta put on the Lord Jesus Christ. The level of our mistakes is equal to the level of provisions we make. And so, here's the deal. Make provisions to love and serve Jesus in your thought life, in your prayer life, in your reading, in your media, in your music, in local church services and workshops and personal ministry, in your friendships and your life groups. If you daily put on the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to notice the difference. So the question really is up to you Will you put on Jesus? Or will you make provision for your flesh to continue down a road of despair and devastation that Jesus already hung to his cross? There is no reason for you to live in bondage when he's already freed you. That doesn't make any sense. It makes absolutely no sense that God would free you And then you would willingly go back in to be hurt by the bondage of sin. Bow with me this morning.